Glad you're here. Um, I uh, wanted to tell you one thing. This is, uh, I think this is pretty incredible. This is the Sunday after Easter. Easter, of course, is the day where it's really, really highlighted and preached about all over that Jesus is alive. Um, grave, the grave couldn't hold him down. Satan and sin couldn't hold him down. He defeated them all and he's alive. I just got some really, like, really good news I want to tell you all about that. Um, he's still risen this Sunday. So it's still really good news this Sunday, too. It's not just something that we get excited about once a year, but even this Sunday, it's, it's every day we should be just enamored of the fact that Christ has defeated Satan, sin, and death for us and that he's alive right now. So I just wanted to remind us that for, uh, you know, after Easter, maybe the week after you're thinking, well, just kind of back to normal. No, it's not. It's not ever back to normal. Because he's alive still today. So I just wanted to remind us all of that great news. And now we're going to go into Matthew chapter 13. We've been in Matthew 13 for, I don't know, like a year and a half or something. And we're getting close to uh, getting close to halfway. We're starting a whole new deal today with Matthew 13, a whole new section. And so we're going to jump into that. I'm going to pray first before we hop in, though. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity as a family to get together to try to take away all the busyness and distractions and things that are going on in the week. We've all got so many things going on, but you kind of quiet down our souls and hearts and minds to get together on Sunday mornings to consider the fact that this is the day that you defeated everything and to think on the gospel again, to be together and fellowship together um, and just be moved by the gospel again. So um, this is what we're asking for again this morning. And we know that this is nothing short of a miracle, that we need you to come and do that. We cannot manufacture that ourselves. We're desperate for your spirit to be here with us. And so I ask for it for myself. I I want to proclaim (coughs) what's true and what's helpful today. And I need your spirit to do that for me. And, And every one of us, including myself here, we're all hearers of the word today. And we want to hear your word clearly, to be motivated by the gospel and to be just enamored with Christ and the gospel and go out again for another week of mission. And so we need your spirit desperately to do that today. So would you come now and do that for us, God? We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 13, and we are going into now what's known as the third teaching discourse out of five in the book of Matthew. The first one, if you'll remember, is the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. Jesus in the Beatitudes lays out the gospel and then just tells them what gospel living looks like for the rest of Matthew chapters 5 through 7. That's the first big teaching discourse in Matthew. The second one comes in chapter 10, right on the very end of 9, uh, 35 30 through 38, he has compassion on them and he and he tells them for the rest of 10, those disciples, what it means to go and be missionaries. And so he gives this big teaching on mission. What's the gospel? What's mission? And now we're going into this third teaching discourse out of five through the book of Matthew. And this is the parables. And there is a very, very distinct shift in the way he's doing teaching. Very, very obvious, very, very big, um, clear teachings there in those first two teaching discourses. Here he starts turning it and now. Now he starts telling stories. Um, He goes to parables. And so what we want to do first before we get into the description, um, we're going to be in 
Matthew 13, and we're going to be looking at 1 through 23, 1 through 23, which is that very first parable. So what I want to do today is we're going to cover that first parable uh, before we cover the first parable, which is really in starting in around verse 3, going to 9. He tells us the parable and then he picks up the description of it in 18 through 23 and he describes it. So in between that and basically 10 through 17, the disciples are standing around after the parable has been taught and they're like, we don't get it. <laughs> we don't get it, Jesus. Could you explain it to us? And so in 10 through 17, he explains the purpose of parables. He doesn't just explain that parable. He does that later. But in 10 through 17, verses 10 through 17 today, he explains the purpose of parables. And so we're going to start with that just in case you're like me and you he's like, I don't get it. Let's just go ahead and start with the purpose of parables. And then we're going to look at it uh, from that first section of one through nine and that second section of 18 through 23. So let me explain a little bit about parables. Some of you, this might be really familiar kind of background understanding. I already know that stuff about parables, but I want to get us all on the same page of what parables are, what's going on, because as I said, this is a very distinct teaching way. He's, he's, he's very different from those first two discourses and this third discourse. He just starts telling stories. And so we want to understand why is he doing that? What's going on? And so let's talk about it for a second, what parables are. First, for the first two minutes, let's just understand what parables are. Parables are this. They're a practical story, they're, and they're often framed as a simile, which is if you go back to and, and, you know, elementary school or whenever it was, middle school, similes are whenever you use something like like or as. And so this is an extended kind of longer simile. And usually the point of that is that it's trying, uh, the point of a parable is that it's trying to illustrate a spiritual truth. So there's this, Jesus is telling this story and he's trying to do it to illustrate a spiritual truth. So that, that's the first thing about what a parable is. It's just a very practical story. Now, I just want to kind of take one little side note. If you are familiar with any kind of English uh, words, then it's not an allegory. OK, allegories are a little bit different. Allegories are where every detail Every single detail means something like Aesop's Fables or the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis or um, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, where like everything means everything. And that's that's not the case in parables. Parables don't have that. Um, Parables have one meaning and all the details don't really mean everything. Not every detail has a meaning in a parable. The second thing is when Jesus tells parables, they're real life stories. And those other things as allegories, you know, you've got pigs talking and you've got all these kind of animals doing human things. That's not in parables. He just tells real stories. A farmer went out and he started throwing seed on the ground. That really happens in real life. And so that's what he's doing today. And all of his parables, it's real life stories. And they have one truth. And that's all we need to try to dig for is that one truth. The details are, are if you make too many things out of details, then you're, you're not understanding parables. You're, you're misunderstanding parables. You're trying to do too much in it. And so why did Jesus speak in parables? What is it that he decided? Why all of a sudden did he have these really, really clear teachings of things in those first two discourses? And then this third time he shifts to this new way of teaching. What's he trying to do? There's really a two pronged uh, desire of Jesus as he's doing this. And they're both um, very interesting. The first is to reveal truth to those who believe in him. So those who know him, he's trying to reveal even more things about himself to them. And he wants them to understand it through stories. He's just telling stories and they're going to hear the deeper meaning in that story. And they're going to be like, I know the story. OK, I get that the surface level story, but I understand the deeper stuff that you're trying to do. But for those you can see on the other side, he's also trying to conceal truth from those who deny him. Those people that don't understand, he's just telling this simple story and they're just like, what does that mean? 
And so he's he's trying to keep them, literally keep them from understanding it. And even further, we're going to say this, see this in just a second. Um, by keeping them from understanding, it also, that parable serves as a hardening effect on their heart. Intentional hardening effect of Jesus. He's trying to harden their heart even more. This, this crazy stuff, we're going to get to that in a second. I know because you're like, whoa. All right, um, or at least I was. So the third thing that we want to see is how can we understand a parable? If parables are just kind of uh, a spiritual truth, we're supposed to look, read it and try to understand it. What's the point of that? Here's what's going on. Here's how we understand a parable. We want to insert ourselves into the story about 2,000 years ago. Consider who the people that are listening. So we want to be one of those here. We don't want to be a 2012 here. We still can't like get away from that. So we have to in some respects. But we want to try to insert ourselves and be one of those first century hearers. What were they hearing? What, what were they doing? What's going on? So we want to listen from the hearer's perspective and look for that main point of the parable. The details are just details for the point of the story. They're, they're not significant. But we want to know that main point. And once we get that spiritual truth, that main point, what our right response is to do is to believe that. That's what he wants us to do. Believe that truth that he's trying to teach. All right. So that's that's how we understand them. And so what and here's the fourth thing. What is Jesus trying to do here? What is Jesus trying to do here? What's the big picture point of these parables? And really, what's Matthew been doing through his entire writing of all of Matthew? He's trying to do one thing. Jesus is trying to do one thing, the same thing with the parables. He's trying to reveal the mysteries of the messianic kingdom. Jesus has come now as the king and he's revealing that he's the Messiah to the people there. And he's wanting to explain to them these mysteries that they haven't necessarily understood. These people who were Jewish had a good understanding of the Old Testament and Jesus and they knew that there was a coming savior. And so Jesus is trying to reveal to them, I'm the coming Messiah. And so but that's just whom he desires to hear it. It's just whom he desires to hear it. That's why he's speaking in parables. Now, it's amazing here that he starts speaking in parables because beforehand, as he was speaking so clearly in the Sermon on the Mountain in mission, where he's just here it is. There weren't a lot of crowds going on. And so the disciples are thinking, all right, well, it tells us in 13, one it's two, actually 13, two great crowds gathered. So all of a sudden, Jesus is getting a little more popular. Great crowds start gathering and all of a sudden he shifts. And so we have to think, huh, well, that's interesting. I wouldn't have shifted. I would have kept with that same message that people understand and not all of a sudden make it more confusing. And so we're going to talk about that in a second. But first, let's look at Jesus's answer. We have we have this uh, text for us in one through nine. And Jesus is given this story. And then the disciples are like, OK, Jesus, we don't get it. We're, I'm sorry. Could you just explain it to us? Because, you know, we don't get it. Could you explain it? And so they come up in 10. They don't say it just like that. But in 10, they come. The disciples came. I don't know what's wrong with me sometimes. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? We're going to get to why they asked that question in just a second. Um, but it says, why do you speak to him in parables? And then 11, it says, and he answered them to you. It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to, in parables, reveal the secrets of the kingdom. And he says to you, it's been given. But to them... It has not been given to them. It has not been given. So one thing I want you to hear is Jesus is obviously drawing out two groups, people that hear people that don't hear and the people that hear when they hear it. It has absolutely from this verse, nothing to do with their intellect, has nothing to do with their lack of intellect or their high levels of intellect. It has only to do with that. They have been given. The ability to hear. So it's only if the Lord allows them to hear and see and understand 
that they're going to. It's solely based on Jesus's decision, whether he's going to let them do whomever Jesus chooses get to. So it says to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But to them, it has not been given, inferring that Jesus decides who to give it to God himself. And then in 12, he's going to he's going to kind of reach back to the Proverbs. He's not going to quote one, but he's just going to be God and give a proverb there in verse 12. And the, the proverb is, is a antithesis, meaning that there's there's the first statement. And then the second statement is the opposite of that first. You can see there in the first one. And he's going to be talking about people that get it, people that understand the parables. He says for to the one who has the one who understands it, the one whose eyes have been opened to be able to understand parables, more will be given and he will have an abundance if you're a believer, that's what's true of you right now. Your eyes have been opened. More is going to be given and you're going to have an abundance. This is what God expects from you. But for that second half, from the one who has not, the one whose eyes are not open, even what he has will be taken away. And that's that two-pronged effect where you see he's, they're hearing the truth, but Jesus is purposely concealing it for the purpose of even hardness. Something's even being taken away there. So that's what's going on there. Um, and that's going to be explained for us in verses 13 through 17. That, that two-pronged understanding in verse 12, uh, where some are blessed for hearing and some aren't, that, that idea is explained in 13 through 17. Um, you can see in 16 and 17, it's the, the people that hear. But let's, let's go ahead and read. It says, 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because, well, does Jesus speak in parables? That, just a side note. Um, I hear people say sometimes about contemporary preaching. And this is just a real big kind of side note, but I just want to say it. I love expository preaching, verse by verse preaching. I think that if we just have some kind of conversation and I just tell you a bunch of, a bunch of funny stories, um, that's not very helpful for you. It's more helpful if I tell you the Bible and not my funny stories. And people say, well, Jesus told stories. Um, not necessarily the best thing to say because Jesus told stories for purposefully, so they wouldn't understand. So not the best reason to use to tell stories and sermons, but to teach the word. That's just my little side note. Back to it. All right. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing, I'm going to tell a story so that they don't see. They're hearing the story. They're t- I'm talking about, you know, seed, and they're just going to hear it as a farming story. Neat story, Jesus, whatever. Uh, and this, the, seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. That's why I'm telling them in parables. I'm wanting to tell stories in such a way where they hear the they hear the story, but they don't get it. That's why I'm doing it. And he's like, well, that okay, I don't understand that. And this is what Jesus says here in 14. Now, I want you to notice here that Jesus is going to quote Isaiah. He's going to relate the reason why he does these parables. Here's why I do a parable. And he's going to root it back in Isaiah 6. And he's going to say in the same way Isaiah went and told the gospel. That's what these parables do. In the same way Isaiah. Look what he says in 14. Indeed, their case is the prophecy Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. Let me stop before we read it because that's the prophecy. What happened is Isaiah in chapter 6 saw the Lord and the Lord said, I need somebody. Isaiah said, I'll do it. And he goes, good. I want you to come do it. Now, when you go, this is what's going to happen. You're going to preach to people and nothing's going to happen. That's, that's your ministry, Isaiah. Go get them. And so that's, that's basically what he's saying in Isaiah. And so Jesus is saying in the same way that Isaiah went and he told people the gospel. He told people the, the coming Messiah is coming and their eyes were darkened. Their ears weren't going to hear. Jesus is saying just like that, whenever I do parables, whenever I tell parables, it's the same effect. It's the same effect. So I'm telling them the gospel. Those whom I've chosen to hear that have ears will respond. They get the deeper meaning of the parable. Those whom I have not, 
it serves as even a hardening effect where they don't. So that's he says, indeed, you will hear, but never understand. And you will perceive you will indeed see, but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes have been closed. And then first verse 15 is that kind of like unless I draw them in, unless they see with their eyes, hear with their hearts, understand with their heart, turn and I would heal them. And then 16 and 17 is descriptive of the people that understand parables. All right. So who are the people? What happens? What's true of them? If you're in Christ, if you have believed the gospel, 16 and 17 is what's true of you. This is what's true. 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see in your ears, for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it because God didn't do it. And to and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So let's just take this one perspective. If you have been um, your eyes have been opened to see and understand the gospel and you're in Christ and you're a believer, the scriptures are calling you blessed. Many people long to have that and God did not for some reason do it, but yours have your only right response is worship. Your only right response to that truth right there in 16 and 17. The fact that you're blessed is Lord, all I can do is respond and worship. Then that's all I've got. All right. So here's um, the big question. I think that we have to ask, uh, or maybe that you're asking, which is why would he do this? Why would he, from what you're saying, Fudd, verse 11 says he's given some to know and he hasn't given some to know. That seems kind of troubling. Why is it that some people get to understand if it's not based on my intellect or lack of thereof intellect? If it's just based on God saying, "Okay, you get to understand. Why is he doing that? I don't understand. That seems kind of just, you know, random. Well, the first big reason, um, and this might be unsatisfying, is because he's God. And he wants it to be that way. <laughs> like that's we can't. Who are we to answer back to God? He's God and he has far more um, understanding of the big picture because he's outside of time. And that's the way he wants it to be. And since he's God and has always been then we have to say you're far more wise than I am. And the way that you've chosen the world to operate and be, I can't I can't do anything but, but say, OK. That's the first thing. But maybe that's not necessarily the most helpful. Um, But I think Paul gives us a little glimpse into that. Um, He answers this question somewhat directly for us in Romans 11. Um, And so I want to just give you a quick understanding there of of what's going on. If I can find Romans. I was in Bible drill, but it doesn't show right now. Um, In Romans 11, um, (laughs) I want you to turn to verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 7. Romans 11, verse 7. And this is trying to help us understand a little bit better about why some people have eyes and some people don't. Um, Specifically, let's just understand Jesus previously in verse uh, 12 has just been blasting the Pharisees. Uh, If you remember, you know, a month ago, or at least whenever we're in Matthew, he's just crushing them, telling them they're hypocrites and and just kind of destroying them there. Um, And so Jesus is talking to those people who are in Israel. And so. Paul's letting us understand why some people in Israel don't get this message and some people in Israel that are even outside of Israel, Gentiles are doing it. Paul tells us in 11, look at 7. 11, 7, it says, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So God has some who are, are chosen to be his and some are obtaining salvation and others are being hardened and not obtaining salvation. Some are Jews and some are Gentiles. 
All right. But here, what we're going to see as we keep going is that now God's going to start doing something where more of those Jewish people are going to start receiving a hardening and more of those Gentile people are going to start receiving an opening of the eyes. Look what happens here. Um, It says in verse eight, this is this is talking about people of Israel. It says God gave them a spirit of stupor, an an inability to understand eyes that would not see ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare, a trap, a stumbling block for them, retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they, they cannot see and, their, and bend their backs forever. The picture is their salvation, but their eyes are so darkened and bent that they have no idea. Their backs are bent. They cannot see to get to salvation. And it's saying that God is literally, God has bent their backs over. Why would he do that to Israel? Why would he not want them to be saved? Well, let's keep reading because there's something about the Gentiles. Look at this. So I asked, did they stumble in order they may not fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, through their, their and, and God's calling that stupor, that, that bent back a trespass. He's saying that's sinful that they're like that, which is all very interesting. But look at this. Here's what's going on. Why? Salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So what's going on is God's given them a spirit of stupor and these Gentiles, their hearts are being awakened and he's wanting them to come to know Christ because in the Israelites, he's wanting there to start grow some kind of jealousy in their hearts where they look at the people, people that are Gentiles and they're saying they're having a relationship with God and we don't anymore. They seem to know who the living God is, but we don't anymore. And we keep seeing them have this relationship with God. We're developing in with us within us a, a, a jealousy for that. He's warning them to, because all along, if we keep reading that and what was going on in the first century is they were serving him through works, but they, their hearts were far from God. And God's like, I want your hearts, not your works. I want you to love me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a spirit of stupor and I'm going to give these Gentiles an eye opening experience where they're going to start getting saved. And I'm going to start drawing your hearts, Israel, to want to put your faith in Christ. You can see this in verse 25. If you just kind of Romans eleven twenty-five, lest you be wise in your own conceits. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So this. This hardening on the Gentiles, on on Israel is happening because God wants a full number of Gentiles to come in. And once that comes in, that's going to happen to serve as this eye-opening experience where their their backs are not going to be bent anymore. They're going to see Gentiles knowing the true and living God. And after that full number's in, they're going to start in droves coming to Christ. And if you see in Revelation, this is what happens whenever there's an eye-opening to Israel in Revelation. And all of a sudden, scores of Israel start coming back to the true Messiah. But until then... God's saving the Gentiles. Now, this is kind of a a broad way of saying it. It doesn't mean that nobody in Israel is getting saved right now. There are. And it doesn't mean that every Gentile is getting saved right now. They're not. But in comparison, what's going on, this is kind of what's serving in the big overarching theme of how human history is going on, that God is saving Gentiles right now for the purpose of opening the eyes and making a jealousy grow within the Gentile Jews so that they'll one day come to him. And we know that happens in Revelation. So that's what's going on here. Um, And that's why he's doing this. Now, we're 2,000 years later, but it's still happening. So what I want to do here is kind of get the setting for you here. We're going to understand the setting, and then we're going to go into it. Chapter 13 has seven parables in it. 
And this, this third teaching discourse has seven parables. And they're really kind of divided in two. The first four, Jesus is telling these parables to the, all the crowds. All of them get it. And those, those are the sower, the weeds, the mustard seed, and leaven. Those four parables are given to crowds. The second three are given to just the disciples. Not the crowds, but just the disciples. Those second three are the hidden treasure, the pearl, and the net. Now, there's seven of them divided into two. But here's the most interesting thing. Out of that first set that's four that's given to the crowds, explanations aren't given of all four of those. Explanations are only given of the first two, only given of the sower and the weeds. And he gave the parable to the crowds, but explanations were only given later on with the disciples just to them. So only the disciples get two, two parables explained to them. And that's it. Just the first two. And and no one else gets any more explanations um, about what's going on. And so he's he's given this particular one to the crowds. As we can see in 46, he just got through blasting all those Pharisees, telling them they're hypocrites. And it says, while he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak. And commentators say that it's pretty obvious now that Joseph should have been there. So Joseph is probably dead right now. Um, just Mary is alive with the brothers and sisters, that's just a side note. Back to 48, and it says, but he replied to the man who told him. So man, some man came up and told Jesus, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside. And Jesus says, who is my mother and my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here, this is key. This is going to help us understand the parables. Here are my mother and my brothers. In other words, people that are my disciples are my family. And then he says, for, notice this, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, mother, is my family. So how do you know? How do you know if, if you're, as these parables are going to be explaining the mysteries of the kingdom, how do you know you're in the kingdom? Because you are doing the will of the Father, and that's how you know you're in the family. That 50 helps us understand of what's going to happen. He's going to say, and you want to know how to be a member of my family? You want to know how to, that if you're doing the will of my Father? Here's some stories, and now you'll know. And then we see this. This is awesome. That same day, so all of a sudden, Word got out. Jesus is going to he's just been blasting the Pharisees left and right. People are like, yeah, we want some of that. Those guys are mean. I want to get over there. And it says that the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And then all of a sudden, great crowds start gathering about him so that there were so many that he actually had to get in a boat and sat down. So he, he gets off the sea, he gets in a boat and he pushes out and they're all standing there on the beach. And the disciples are like, great crowds are here. Jesus is blasting. They're tweeting it out. You better get here if you're not here. Jesus is about to tell a story. Everybody get here. Facebook it. Tell everybody. And it says, everybody responds. Great crowds, great crowds. You can just imagine the disciples are like, yes, Jesus is about to lay it down. They're thinking Sermon on the Mount, that uh, Matthew 10 sermon. It's it. And so everybody's there. Disciples are pumped. Yes. We're going to start seeing some crazy stuff happening now. And Jesus walks out and he goes on the boat, not walks out, he's standing in the boat and he goes, uh, and everybody's like, disciples like, "Mm -hmm, it's go time. And he goes, uh, so, uh, there was a farmer and he threw some seed out and it fell on the path, you know, where people walk. And that was hard. And birds ate that. And then, uh, then he also went into some shallow soil and it grew up, but then the sun scorched and it died. And then after that, uh, there were some that went on this inside some soil and it grew up, but there were some weeds and thorns and it grew up and it choked it. But then there was good soil. And when it went in the good soil, those plants grew up uh, and they lived. He who has ears, let him hear. That's it. And the disciples were like, what? What just happened? I was expecting something way different. I mean, based on the first teaching discourse and the second teaching discourse, I was expecting for you to throw down. I tweeted it out on Facebook and told everybody to get to Galilee. It's about to go down. And you just say this, this sowing, you know, this little farmer story. And so that's why they come up and they're like, Jesus, um, you know, 
Why do you speak in parables? I don't, I wouldn't, that's not what I would have done. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, Jesus. I was expecting, you know, the Beatitudes. You could have led with that one. I mean, we, these people may not have heard that one yet. You could have recycled that one out. Um, but no, Jesus, Jesus has the, uh, the first parable of the seed. And so the sower, the soils. And so the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, we don't understand. Could you explain that to us? So they come to him. And that's why in 18, Jesus says, hear then the parable of the sower. So we're going to go into this now. The parable, your Bible probably says the parable of the sower. Uh, and that's, that's good because the sower is Jesus. Uh, but really, this is the parable of the soils. This is really the parable of the soils. Because the sower is the same in all four soils. The seed or the gospel is the same in all four soils, but what's different are the four soils. What's different, and so that's what we need to be listening for, are there's four different kinds of soils. And as we're hearing this, we're, the, best thing we can, the best question we can be asking then is, which soil am I? Which soil am I? Let me, let me say this before we get started. This, I think, is one of the very best texts of Scripture that explain to you why some people come to know Christ. Some people never come to know Christ. Some people come to know Christ for a little while. And then you're like, what happened? Like you were doing good. Like it really seemed like you were a Christian and you fall away and you're just like, man, I don't understand. This question is going to, this, this parable is going to answer that question for you. Some of you maybe had a child that showed some fruit for a while and they walked away or you had a parent that seemed to be walking with Jesus. And all of a sudden they walked away and like, God, I don't understand, man. What happened? Like, or my roommate seemed to have a good fall, but then the other three year, half years of college, they went crazy. Why? Why is it that some people, this, this is one of the best explanations of how, um, when they hear, what happens to their heart? What happens to their heart? So there's, there's really kind of three things. The sower in this parable is Jesus. Um, directly or indirectly. In the first century, it's directly. He's telling the people the gospel. Indirectly, because when we tell the people the gospel, Jesus is speaking it through us. He's still the sower, not you. The next thing is the seed. And the seed is just the gospel of the kingdom. He's taking that seed, how to get saved, and he's just broadcasting it everywhere. If you don't know what the gospel is, let me give it to you. Jesus is very clear. Just one page over. In 1128, Jesus looks at those people who are just working for salvation, working for salvation, working for salvation. And he says, stop trying to work. You'll never be able to work for your salvation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You're trying to work to be saved, to think you can have a right relationship with God. It's never going to happen. Just come to me and I'll give you rest. That's the gospel. Come to me and I'll give you rest. You're never going to work. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. That's the gospel. Put your faith in Christ for his work on the cross. For what he's done for you. Not try to do it yourself. That's the gospel. So that's the seed that's being spread to all these different soils. And the soils, of course, in this, these four soils, that's the human heart. That's the human heart. And so the only question we should be thinking, remember, it's a parable. Don't look at every detail. The big picture question for us is, which soil is my heart? Which soil is my heart? As we're going through this, there's a couple things I want you to think about. The kingdom, according to this, advances slowly. Usually things take a while to grow. They get seed, water, sun, water, sun, water, sun. Eventually it grows. It's, it's, it's progressive. It's not instantaneous. So the, 
that's an encouragement for you as you're telling people the gospel. The kingdom advances slowly, usually pretty slowly. The kingdom advances with varied responses. We're going to see varied responses here in these four soils. Um, But as it's happening, we know that we should be asking, what kind of soil am I? So uh, four soils, four soils. Let's look at those. The way I'm going to do it is I'm going to look at the, the... the description and the answer together. We're just going to take them one at a time. So the first one there in verse 4, Jesus says, A sower went out to sow, verse 4, and as he sowed, some seeds, um, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came out and devoured them. So the first one, the first soil is the path. This is very hard. We're going to, I'm going to describe those hearts. The path is the hard heart. The path. So you can just look at, or imagine a, a, a place where people are sowing seed. People have to walk. And so as they're sowing seed, they, they walk in that same spot over and over. And when you walk in that same spot over and over, n- no vegetation grows, no plants grow. The only thing that happens to that seed is it becomes almost like a layer of concrete. And it's just like really, really hard soil. And so as he's going, he's throwing seed everywhere. Some of it lands on that path and it's hard. And that seed never, ever goes down into the dirt. It just sits on top of the dirt. And what happens? It says here that birds come up and devour the seed. Birds are hungry. They want the seed. They come, they eat it. Um, And so this is a hard seed. Now, the explanation for that is in verse 19 where he says, "Whenever, Whenever anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes in and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So the soil, the top, is the actual heart. The gospel comes and just sits on top of the heart. It never even goes in. There's, there's no receptivity to the gospel whatsoever. And it says birds. Now, in this particular parable, it's the, the evil one is going to be representative of a bird. That's not something I would think would be normal. I would think it would be a cat or a snake because those things seem to be evil. But here it's a bird and a bird comes along. Oh, he's got to throw a cat joke. So it, it comes in there and this bird comes and eats it. And, and it's saying that's representative of the evil one. Then it comes and it snatches it away. Why does this happen? Because they have a hard heart. Their heart is so hard because of a love of sin that whenever they hear the gospel, it never even goes down into the dirt. So you're asking yourself, I broadcast and I broadcast. Why is it that I did that for my dad or my mom or my child or my aunt or my uncle and their entire life? And whenever they died, they never even gave ear to it. Their heart was hard. Their heart was hard. It never even went in. And why? I don't know. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell us why. But it also tells us that that has nothing to do with the way we broadcast our seed. It doesn't mean we, we stop and we sow sparingly. We still throw out that gospel to as many soils that are around us. Notice that Jesus, the sower, still throws the seed on the hard path. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus knows. He still throws the seed on the hard path. Giving us the example that you have no idea the person's heart. You throw that seed everywhere. You tell the gospel to every single person. Um, the path, this is something to remember. The path never in any way, it sits on top, that seed. It never receives it down ever. When they hear this, they reject it immediately. The, the evil one knows that they love sin so much that he comes in and he snatches away that gospel. And it's never, ever received. That's the first one. Hard heart path. The second one's in verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. 
And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. So here's this what's going on. This isn't a hard path. This is right off that. And instead of having deep soil, there's a little bit of soil. And right underneath that, there's a rock. And so it's very, very shallow. It's very, this is the second one. It's rocky ground or the shallow heart. It's very shallow. So the, the seed goes in there and actually the, the soil receives it. It goes down in and then it gets some water and sun. So it actually sprouts up and it shows something. But notice there's bedrock underneath. The seed can never go down very far. It hits that bedrock. And what happens, it says, it sprouts up right away and immediately looks like things are good. But then the scorching sun comes. And what happens is the demands of the the, the summer, the unrelenting hot summer, demand that seed to be able to have a deep root. But there's rock. And the demands of that hot summer, because it has no root, are too much for it. And then it just withers and dies. All right, that's that's the farming description for us. What does that mean? Look at verse 20 and 21. This is what it says. As for what was sown in rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it. There's some kind of reception, as I said. But remember, this is a very shallow heart. Very shallow. And when you have a shallow heart, whenever the scorching sun comes, you're not going to hold on. What What is that scorching sun? Look what it says. They receive the word. And look at this. This is even more amazing. Receives it with joy. You ever met someone who became a Christian and after a while you're like, we seem to be just alike. You seem to love Jesus with so much joy, just like me. And then a year later, they're just crazy. Like they just left the faith completely. You're like, I don't understand. I just don't get it. My sister, my child or whoever, there was this real, I mean, it wasn't fake joy. It wasn't manufactured. It was a real joy. Jesus it's very clear. It was received with joy. But for some reason, there was no depth of soil. The sun, came, the sun came out and scorched it. What was that sun? Look what happens. This is what the sun represents. He has no root. It hit the bedrock, but endures for a little while. Things go happy for that one season. But the sun comes out and the sun is when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, on the fact of you being a Christian, the sun comes up, which is persecution. And you and I know that all of us as Christians, whenever we come to Christ, we're not promised so like everything gets hunky-dory after, after that. It's things are bad. We get, to say, we get saved. We're in Christ. We're joyful. But we still live through persecution and trials the rest of our life. And what happens is we press in Christ and we show that we're good soul. If we don't press in Christ and we walk away, we're like, this is not for me. It's on account of the word. I'm not willing to suffer for you, Jesus. The sun's too hot. And they walk away. They're rocky ground. They're rocky ground. And what it's telling us is that this is basically, um, this is basically in American terms, 21st century, easy believism. This is just the easy believism. Sign the card, walk the aisle, everything's fine. And then whenever they forget to tell you that, it's not going to be good forever. You just walk away. Charles Whitfield, he preached about 200, I think it's about 200 years ago. He was just, he was just unbelievable. I mean, this man, it was just an, a magnificent preacher. He had the ability when he preached, scores of people would get saved and they'd come up to him and they'd say, um, George Whitfield, not Charles. They'd say, George, how many people do you think got saved today? How many people got saved? And his answer would be something like this. Um, we'll see in a few years. We'll see in a few years. And after that, we'll see whether they were rock. I mean, basically what he's saying is we'll see if they're rocky ground or good soil. And so um, what's the problem here with the heart? What's the problem? Why is it that they only receive it? What's the problem when tri- tribulation and persecution comes? It tells us right there in 21. Yet he has no root. 
this is just a, a, an obvious thing. The, the, the smart thing to be asking yourself is, which one am I? If you haven't received persecution and trials, you will. Are you going to be rocky ground? When it comes, are you going to have no roots and run? Are you going to push down your roots deep in Jesus and have good soil and persevere through your trials? Because you're going to have trials. You're going to have it. What are some of these trials? Um, what are some of the trials that whenever these shallow, superficial people hear it, they run? Loss of a job, loss of a family member, disagreement with another Christian, sickness, cancer, heart attack, uh, bitter because you're not married yet, you had a bad date. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of scale things that can happen. There's all kinds of things that can happen. D.A. Carson says about these, these rocky grounds, such temporary disciples are always numerous in times of revival. They're always numerous in times of revival. And this was also the case in Jesus's ministry. The hard ground, number one, never even received it. These people, the rocky ground, receives the word some way. Receives it some way, superficially, and not, in the end, proves to be not salvifically. In other words, not in a way that saves. Decisively. So that's the second one. Now, the third one is similar to that second one. The thorns are similar to the rocky ground. Let's look at the thorns in verse 7. It says this, other seeds fell among the thorns. So this is actually deeper soil, but it fell among thorns. <coughs> Another way to think about it is they cast seed into the soil. Maybe it was kind of deep, but there was something else native in this soil. There were thorns. There were weeds in the soil native to that soil already, meaning there's something already native in your human heart. And it grows up around that and it chokes it and it brings it back down. And both the rocky soil, number two, and the thorns, number three, both fall away. So let's talk about the difference. Um, this is very different than the path. The path never receives the gospel whatsoever. There's never change. It never goes in. But here there is some. There is some, the, some going in. So what are some of the differences then between rocky ground number two and thorns number three? Here's some things I see. Rocky ground number two has a reception to it with joy. There's no description of joy here. There's no description at all. They do not receive it. Although we don't know why they receive it for a short time, but there's no there's no joy in this reception. And here's the second thing that I want you to notice. This is what I think might be even bigger. Both fall away. Rocky ground and, and thorns fall away. But here's something that's very, I thought very interesting. Rocky grounds fall away. Falling away is due to the sun. Something external happens external to them. Trials and tribulations come to them and cause them to fall. But with thorns, something internal, native to their own human heart. It's, it's, not, it's not outside things. There's an internal sinful desire, love of sin that grows up, that chokes, that, that growing in the, in the gospel. There's, there's, there's a love of sin so deep in their hearts that it grows up around what the gospel is doing and chokes it down and they fall away. Let me show you how Jesus describes that that weed or that thorn that grows up. This is what that sinful desire in them is. He says it, um, it says in verse seven, other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. And he explains that in verse 22. It says, 
For as what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. And it's a, there's a native love of sin in their life. And it says this. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. That's what happens. The thorns are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. The thorns are whenever we find ourselves more in love with sin and the world around us and all that it has to offer and making money and having power and, and whatever things we can get our hands on. We find ourselves more in love with that than God. Now, now notice the thorns, it's gradual. It grows up gradual around them and chokes them and it chokes them down gradually. This is what the love of money or the love of consumption or the love of things does. It doesn't happen all at once. It just gradually starts happening in your life. You need more, you need more, you need more, you need more, you need more. And before you know, you look back and all of a sudden you're nowhere near what you used to be. And you could be, again, the best question we can be asking is, which heart am I? You could be a heart that's a strangled heart. There's a strangled heart. There's no joy. You're enamored with the temporary lustful pleasures of the world. The cares of this world are so much for you. The riches are so deep in you that you want it. Um, and that you need to have that over Jesus. The clear advice for us here is to know our hearts. Know our hearts. What could possibly be the thorn? What could possibly be the love of sin in your particular life? It's going to be different for you than me. But it will choke you if you're not a good soil and you're a strangled heart. And we all want to be good. We all want to have that good soil. But the, the truth is, these people would never permit, the thorns would never permit the message of the kingdom to control them. They would never let Jesus control them. They never mature. They never bear fruit. They gradually just fall away. We, we can't be angry at these people. My first thought is like, what the world's wrong with you? Open up your eyes. Don't be so enamored with sin. Notice in 22, it says, the deceitfulness of riches choke them. They're deceived. They've been deceived. Our right response is an anger towards them. It's a broken heart for them. And we come with the word and we come with tears in our eyes and we beg them, repent from the sin. Don't be the strangled heart. Be the open heart. We can't be mad at them. Which leads us into the fourth one. This is the good soil. This is the open heart. I've got four remarks I want to make on this. And some of them won't be, you know, rocket science to you. Some of them will be like, yeah, it's pretty obvious, Fud. I'm hoping one of these four would maybe be something new and blow your mind. Um, there's one that just I saw and I was just like, that's amazing. That's amazing. So here we are. Verse number eight, the open. Others fell on good soil and produced grain. And some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. <laughs> and then Jesus, verse nine. He who has ears, let him hear. You can just imagine, Jesus, why did you, I don't understand. But he who has ears, let him hear. And so they don't understand. But that's, Jesus explains it to them there in verse 23. Whenever he says, they had good soil, they produced grain. And when they produced grain, some was 100, some were 60, some were 30. And he says this, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears and understands. Notice, hears and understands. That sounds a lot like the Isaiah text, right? We just read it down there. They need to see, they need to hear, they need to understand. So Jesus is saying, just like Isaiah here, if you hear and you understand it, then it is landed in good soil. Your heart is good soil. If you're in Christ right now and you see and understand this message of the kingdom, your heart is good soil. That's good news. 
That's reason to celebrate and worship. That's reason to say, my life is yours, Jesus. You've given me good soil. I said this in the very beginning. I think when I read, um, I don't think I actually did say this. Uh, Spurgeon said this whenever he was talking about the fact that if our heart is good, um, he said, no man. Oh, I hadn't read this. I have no man of uh, no heart of man is good by nature. No heart of man. If, if you're in Christ and your heart is good soil, you can just say, well, my heart's good. Spurgeon says, whoa, whoa, put the brakes on. No heart of man is good by nature. The good Lord has made your plot, your heart, your soil, good ground. So if you're like, yes, I got a good heart. Remember, it's because God gave you that to receive it. And so that's only more reason to worship him. That's only more reason to give him the glory. So these people, when they hear it, the first thing is that we see they have good soil, which means the, the seed went in, the gospel, the, message, the gospel message went into their soil, it went down deep, and there was this decisiveness in their heart, this declaration of their desire to, to be a part of the gospel, to be a part of Christ, to believe in the gospel, and to be saved. So that's the first thing. And a lot of times we can think about that and say, okay, um, well, that's the end of the story. The four soils are have a good, have a good soil, and then if, when the gospel hears, you're truly saved. You're it. That's it. You're, you're a Christian. And so the first thing I want to show is that um, this is not uh, a, a parable that says have an environment where the plant doesn't die. This is a, a, a parable that's saying whenever it comes, the way to know that you're for sure a Christian is verse 50. Do the will of my father, which is have a heart that actually produces grain that yields fruit that bears fruit. The point of this parable isn't just have a good soul, good heart so that you can be saved. The point of this parable is when you get saved, you should have fruit in your life. There should be all kinds of things happen in your life that's bearing fruit. So the point of this is I know that I'm a Christian. Let's give them three years because they're bearing fruit. It's not just some kind of whimsical decision on a second. Oh, hell, that sounds bad. I don't want to go there. Heaven, Jesus, that's <laughs> Yes. There should be a continual fruit bearing for the rest of your life. That's the point here. Not just have good heart so you can get saved, but have a good heart to get saved to bear fruit. That's the first thing I want you to notice. The second thing I just said was that the charge to have a good heart comes from God. It comes from God. God, so that if you have a good heart, if you are a believer, your only right response is, is worship. Your only right response is worship. All right. This parable is not a, are you saved parable? This parable is, if you're saved, are you yielding crop parable? Are you yielding crop? So here's the next thing I want you to see. Um, well, actually, let me, let me say this. Here's the third thing. This is really interesting. Jesus in this parable is saying, one fourth of the hearts of men are good soil. Three fourths aren't. Three fourths of these are, are not good soil that produce salvation, one-fourth. And I just want to say, that is an encouragement for you to keep telling the gospel. Whenever you keep telling, and whenever you keep telling, and whenever you keep telling, and you're not seeing the fruit that you want, remember, according to the scriptures here, one-fourth of the soils are good soil. Three-fourths aren't. And so, not to discourage you, but you have to keep telling people. You don't know whether they're hard, you don't know whether they're rocky, you don't know whether they're thorns, or whether they're good. You don't know. And so you keep telling people the gospel and just trust in Christ that he would break up the soil and make it deep. 
and that he would give them good soil. I do believe that there's a time where people's hearts are hard and then it's good. And then they are regenerated in that moment. They, they put their faith in Christ. So you just ask the Lord, break down the heart. Destroy it. Make it from, turn from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Make the soil good soil when the gospel hears. So that's a good way to pray. Don't sow sparingly. Keep sowing in your children. You keep sowing in your children. You keep sowing in your parent. My dad got saved in his 60s. From, I, I led him to Christ. You keep, you keep sowing. God will save if it's his will, but he wants us to keep sowing in our roommates. Now, here's the next one. And I, this is, I think, I saved it for last because this is blow your socks off amazing. All right? This is pretty amazing. Every one of us sometimes lives in that, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm all right, Christian. I'm all right, kind of get it done. I'm not great. Look at this. Jesus says, some fell on good soil. I'm in verse eight. Some fell on good soil and produced grain. Some, a hundred, some 60, some 30. And it says that right there at the very end of 23. He indeed bears fruit and yields. If your heart is good soil, he indeed bears fruit and yields. If you're in, if you're in Christ, you indeed will be bearing fruit. And notice it says it again. In one case, a hundredfold. In the other, 60. In the other, 30. Some were 100. Some were 60. Some were 30. In that, Jesus draws no distinction between them. He doesn't call the 100 really good soil. He doesn't call the 60 kind of good soil. And the 30 like, you know, okay, good soil. He says, whenever you're bearing fruit, 160, 30, you're good soil. That's encouraging. Because some of us think I'm just kind of the junior varsity or B team Christian. I'm just the 60 and 30. You know, those hundred, that's the ones that Jesus is really happy with. Jesus loves those. But, you know, us kind of second and third class, we're 60 and 30. We're okay. But Jesus isn't like, you know, thinking we're good. We're just half good. There's no distinction here. That insertion into your mind that says, if I don't, if I'm the, if I'm not the hundredfold and I'm just the 60, that, that mindset is nowhere in, in here from Christ. That mindset is nowhere from Jesus. Jesus did not put that in your head. That if you're a 60 fold Christian or a 30 fold Christian, that you're not good soil. That's from the evil one. Never, ever feel like you're not good. And he just says, some do a hundred. Some do 60 and some do 30. So what Christ wants from you here is faithfulness at the level of giftedness that he's given you. Some of you will see 100, some of you will see 60, and some of you see 30. And wherever you've been gifted, your job is to be faithful in whatever fruit you see. Indeed, you will see it. That's the promise there. You just say, Jesus loves me. And he's gifted me with this ability. And I want to be faithful with that. And I am so pleased that he's letting me yield a crop of 30. And he is very pleased with you when you've yielded a crop of 30, if you're supposed to yield a crop of 30. Never is there a description that if you've not done 100, that you're not good soil. All that bear fruit are called good soil. That's good news. Because I can, I mean, I am Mr. Comparison. Well, that guy over there, you know, he just says Jesus and 7,000 people got saved. I like pour my heart out and what the world, you know, oh, I said what the world, um, Jack's got me all like in my head. Um, 
But never is there a distinction here. And so notice 23 here. It says, as for what was sown on good soil, if you're in, if you're in Christ, you have the good soil. He says this. He who hears the word and understands it. If you are today not yet a Christian, but all of a sudden when you're hearing this gospel, come to me and you're like, I have been working for this right relationship with God. And I've always thought it's based on what I do, not on what's been done. And and I'm hearing that message, that gospel message where he's saying, come. Then what's happening is you're starting to hear and understand. Your heart is now good soil and you're having a receptivity to it. If all of a sudden that message is starting to compute with your mind. This is what I want you to do. Look over at 15 with me. Look at 13, 15, the second half of verse 15. This is your response today. Look at this. Lest, that means if, if it's starting to happen in your heart that you are seeing with your eyes. You are hearing with your ears. You are understanding with your heart. What are you to do if that's happening right now? Turn. Repent. Repent of your sin. Lord, I repent of the fact that I have tried to earn this. Never should I have done that. I trust only in Christ and his work and what he's done for the forgiveness of my sins. Forgive me. I want to be a believer and I want to follow you now. And then it says, if you would do that, look at that. I would heal you. This is a spiritual healing. If you repent today, if you turn, this is a promise. The good soil is receiving this. He will heal you today. Today will be the day of your salvation. And then you get to know that he is pleased with you. He's declared you good soil and trials will come. The sun will come up. You press into Christ and you yield that fruit of 160 or 30, whatever the Lord has assigned to you. That's if you're not in Christ. If you are in Christ, it's almost the same. It's almost the same. Perhaps this is a good reminder for you to think, oh yeah, the good soil that the Lord has given me is not just for me to be saved. The good soil that he's given me is so that I will produce grain, so that I will bear fruit. I will yield fruit. Great reminder. My life is supposed to be defined by fruit bearing. And you're saying, today's the day that I will start doing that. And let's just say one other thing for you that are in Christians, I want you to notice. Maybe this parable is a good reminder of of you to do this. Don't sow sparingly. Don't sow sparingly. The sower, Jesus, sowed just generously everywhere. He threw that seed everywhere as a demonstration to us. You throw seed on the hard hearts in your life. You throw seed on that shallow heart of your sister or brother or that choked out heart or you have no idea if it's going to be good. And so your same response is, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to bear fruit. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be sowing generously. Go back to 15. See this message with your eyes. Hear it with your heart. Understand that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be bearing fruit. I'm supposed to be broadcasting the seed of the gospel everywhere. I'm going to turn. I'm going to repent. And you're not going to be healed. 
you're going to be reminded of the healing that had been given to you at your justification and say, praise you, God, that you have forgiven me even for that neglect of yielding fruit or broadcasting the seed. I'm going to march forward in in trust and in worship that that will be the definition of my life now. I want to be faithful. I want to, at the end, for you to say, good soil. Come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm so pleased that you had fruit of 100. I'm so pleased that you had fruit of 30. I assigned that gifting to you. You used it for Christ's glory. And you did exactly what I wanted you to do. Well done. Let that be the declaration of your heart today. So as we go into our time of worship, this parable is designed to cut at your heart. It's designed to cut at your heart and ask yourself, which heart am I? Which soil am I? And if you're not in Christ, put your faith in Christ. And if you are, say, I'm going to bear fruit now and I'm going to broadcast this gospel to everybody I know. Use this time of response to think, to pray, to meditate, repent, to trust Christ, to worship, to stand, just to let him know, Lord, today's the day. We have three songs. You just, as the Holy Spirit leads, respond to him according to the way he's leading. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given it to us and our right response is to always hear it, let the Holy Spirit lead, put our faith and trust in what we've heard and follow hard after you. I pray for that person that might not know Christ today. Lord, after the service, would they come and tell us and know how to put their faith in Christ if they don't know him or talk with the person they came with? Would we use this time to respond? If they are in Christ, would they use this time to repent if they need to, to just stand and worship and say, Lord, I give you all the glory. Thank you for revealing these things to me. I want to yield fruit for you now. I want to live the kind of life that's not just a saved life, but a fruit bearing life. I want to live the kind of life that tells everybody I know about Jesus. No matter where they are, no matter how hard I think their heart is, I don't know their heart. You do, God, and I want to tell them about Jesus. Be with us now as we respond. As we, respond. we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.